Kite Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 721. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico. I am joined this episode by my good friend, Dayton Johnson. Welcome aboard, Dayton. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, you seem the perfect person to come aboard, have on for this episode, because we're going to be talking about, in a broader sense, and we're talking about doing a broader episode on heavy metal in the 80s, which is certainly a topic I'm very much interested in doing. But I wanted to kind of start us out with one specific band, and one band that... um, maybe doesn't hasn't always gotten the attention it deserves but that i've really gotten into in the last few months and wanted to kind of explore more now before we say more about that a couple of things i want to let you introduce yourself but first i have to point out it just dawned on me because i as i was saying uh, before we started the white rocket podcast is a show that we really do when a topic comes along it's not an ep- it's not a show that is done every week or every two weeks it's just when something comes along we want to talk about uh, me and whoever else, then then we pop out a white rocket. And this just happens to be, you are here for it, Dayton. This is the 200th episode of the White Rocket Podcast. So congratulations wow. on being the guest for the 200th episode. Wow, I feel special, actually. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Yeah, 198 and 199 were the Ready Player One episodes we did with the uh, Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast and David Wright right. about a couple of months ago, a month ago. And uh, we haven't done anything since then, but here we are. So, uh, Dayton, go ahead and introduce yourself so folks will know who you are. Sure. Uh, as you said, uh, my name is Dayton Johnson. I am the host and uh, producer and, I guess, you know, the the energy behind my podcast, Docking Base 77. And uh, we cover a lot of music, movies, uh, some TV. We've hit a couple books, uh, comic books. Uh, video games, stuff like that, and I am blessed to have a lot of nerd and geek friends that love to talk about a lot of things. So um, I think I've hit um, almost 18, 19 different guests. Um, about 10 of them are on a regular rotation. So we have a lot of fun, and we, uh, over the, we're actually getting ready to hit our 100th episode um, in July. So it's a big deal for me, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Absolutely. The Docking Bay 77 podcast, one of the first ones I added on uh, as soon as I saw the name and, and encountered you on social media and everything, I'm like, well, that just sounds like it was made for me, and it has been. It's great, very entertaining. So, and you had me on for something a while back. Uh, we were on. Yeah. You've done it a couple with us. You yes. and uh, David Wright did. Uh, we compared uh, Spider-Man Two to X uh, X Two. Yep. Uh, last summer, and uh, you were just on. We haven't aired the episode yet. It actually will be the first one of June. Uh, top seven movie scores. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun, too. Yeah, both of those were great. But yeah, I had such a good time uh, with the top movie scores. And we're doing something similar to that today because I haven't said the topic is presumably people that are uh, listening will have seen it on their phones or their devices. But we're going to talk about Judas Priest and we're going to just kind of con- uh, have a little conversation about the band, the history, what it's meant to us and all that kind of thing up front. And before we're done, Dayton and I are going to count down or, or at least cover our top 10 favorite Judas Priest songs. So that should be fun. So stick around for that before we are done. So um, this is a band, just a couple of quick things up front and we can talk about it. This is a band that is almost as old as me. It's actually, um, they got together the same year Led Zeppelin released their first album. 
they got together the year we landed on the moon the first time, 1969. Right. I never would have dreamed that they'd been around that long because, you know, the first album of theirs that really, well, all right, I'm going to work backwards. The first album of theirs I <laughs> bought was Defenders of the Faith in 1984. Okay. The, and at that point, I became aware of Screaming for Vengeance that had come out in 1982. Okay, so those and two, was, I knew about it. that was the first album I bought. Was right, and those are like the two really, really big ones to a degree. Then I became, after that, I became aware, well, the one before that in 1980, I think, unless I'm forgetting one from 81, um, they usually do every two years, but occasionally there's one in an odd year, was British, I think they did do Point of Entry in 81, right? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, British Steel was 80. Yeah. Which was after uh, Point of Entry. I okay. Let's see I was thinking I that there... I have their discography right here in front of me. I was so, thinking, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it, it was British Steel, then Point of Entry, yes, in 81, correct. Yep. Okay, so... Yeah, point of entry kind of came and went, never really registered huge. But uh, British Steel, I became aware of, was the other one that had a bunch of their big songs. So those three albums, I think, are probably considered their three biggest and their three most popular. Probably their yeah. best sellers. And um, I assumed that British Steel was like their first or second. British Steel had the sense to me of like the second album where they figure out what they're doing for a lot of bands. Right. Oh, no. They had a whole <laughs> decade before that where they were kind of finding their sound, right? Finding their way, right. which is very interesting. And so for the first time in my life over the last month or two, I've been going back and listening to not just their newer stuff, but to their stuff from the 70s, which has been a kind of an interesting kind of a musical uh, journey on its own because they really have evolved and continue to evolve you oh, yeah. know, over the years, uh, both in terms of what they're playing, how they play, how they sound, the types of instruments they use, the, the musicians involved. The band is, in fact, at this point, they're down to, I guess, just one original member, the bass player, Ian Hill. Yeah, um, Tipton still technically appears on yeah. the – he's still listed as in the band but with his Parkinson's, he's not really able to tour very often. He has shown up on stage for a couple of shows so technically, he's still in the band, but yes, Ian Hill, the bass player, is actually the longest uh, running mm -hmm. member. Yeah. So, um, and there are some. There's there's basically a dramatic story about every member of this band, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But, <laughs> um, but they really have their appeal is interesting because, you know, I there's times they sound like Led Zeppelin to me. There's times they sound like thrash metal to me. Sometimes on the same album, it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. So what tell us kind of your origin story with regard to this band and like uh and 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 how you've kind of reacted to them and found them over the years. Well, I was lucky to have an older brother that was very much into music and so I was exposed to a lot of things through him. Uh you know, early on in my life, you know, it was through Elton John, he would play that for me in Chicago, that's how I learned how those bands. And then we hit the 80s and it was a lot of punk, so I was listening to Black Flag before you know, most people even knew who they were, but it was him that got me listening to Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and those bands. And it was actually British Steel was the first album I was most familiar with, with Breaking the Law and Living After Midnight. But uh, it was really when Screaming for Vengeance came out that my, you know, I really got into them. And that, like I said, that was my first album of theirs I bought. And I remember seeing their videos on MTV all the time for, you know, even stuff off point of uh, point of entry, heading out on the highway and uh, stuff like that. So it was a big part of my uh, musical heavy metal 
journey, I guess is a better way to put it. But and uh, I was really big into them in the '80s. I even saw them live mm. uh, when they were touring for Turbo. Oh yeah, that was '86. Um, yeah, '86 album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine had uh, three tickets, and the person bailed last minute, and he asked if I wanted to go, and I said sure, and we were in the front row for that show. So that was holy cow. My only front row show was for for that one. So uh, I still have the uh, the uh, Ian Hill. I still have his pick. He threw him out in the crowd. We found him on the ground. So I still have one of his picks from that show. <laughs> How about that? I was gonna say you saw this up close. I'm now for those of you listening. I'm holding up my Rob Halford uh, Funko Pop, and nice. he's got like the little whip in one hand, the microphone in the other. <laughs> Right, right. Had to get that. They didn't do the whole band. They only did uh, Halford. But, of course, he kind of is, you know, he is Judas Priest in so many ways. He's well, he's kind so of, iconic, you know. He, yeah. He is, oh, yeah. He's, he's heavy metal lore is what he is, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For he, sure. He is the metal god, as he says. Yes. And, we, again, more stuff to say about him and, the, and all of them in just a second. So, so, yeah, the early years, listening to their stuff from the 70s, like Sad Wings of Destiny, um, it it's it's not as heavy. It's kind of it almost sounds like um, I, I'm trying to you know just kind of like some of the standard rock bands, progressive rock bands of that era yep. a little bit. There's kind of sad stuff and slow things and mourning kind of things, you know. And I'm like you know even the ones that it's funny because there's songs on those early albums that are considered among their best. And I've heard them live on live albums where they really put right. a lot of oomph into them. And you hear the original version, you're like, Oh, that's what it originally sounded like. <laughs> Cause you know, they, they didn't do it with the, they did it more like, it just sounds like a completely different band. So, uh, so how do you kind of compare their 70s stuff to their 80s stuff? How would you kind of compare that? Well, I think their 70s stuff is definitely a product of that decade where, you know, you hear Zeppelin and you hear Deep Purple and stuff like that. And it kind of fits into that category. Uh, there's a still, I kind of feel a little bit of uh, yes in there with the yeah. progressive sound for mm -hmm. sure. And you're right they're They went with, with some more longer songs and uh, some different changes and it had definitely had more of a progressive feel you know, not too much, but it was definitely there. And it you can kind of hear the evolution as the records went on, especially when you get to, um, like, British Steel for sure, but uh, uh, Killing Machine, or as it was known in the States of... Um, Hellbent uh, hell no, for Leather. Hellbent for Leather, right. <laughs> uh, when you hear that, and then the songs got shorter, they are tighter, it was uh, chunky with the guitars and they focus more on, you know, get in and get out in like three minutes or so. And, and you can really hear where they kind of landed on that. And that was between those two records, British steel for sure is considered uh, that album that the sound took hold. Yeah, it really did. And um, it's where they got, I guess, in some degree, not just like bluesy heavy, but like that heavy metal heavy that they, and that's what Halford always stresses this whole idea that they are, right. they are heavy metal beyond yes, they anything. Are. <laughs> so let me ask you this then. This raises another question. And, and all right, I'm going to mention this because I got other things to say about it, but I'm going to open the topic here too. I just finished reading K.K. Downing's book. He was the original guitar player and kind of right. really more the rhythm guitar player, I would argue, compared to Tip, Glenn Tipton being more the lead guitar player to a degree, Agreed. although they could, they could trade off. But K.K. Yeah. Downing always seemed like slightly more limited in a way. He was kind of just more like the steady 
force rather than the energy, the creative force. I, that's the impression I get. I may be completely wrong. Okay. Um, in his book, one of the things that he kind of laments in the final chapters is how they never got as big as he thinks they should have been. Because he talks about all the way through the book, he talks about we hung out, you know, we, uh, he talks about Iron Maiden opened for us. Okay. Yep. He, he talks about hanging out with Def Leppard, playing tennis with Def Leppard, playing golf with Def Leppard. It's funny how Iron Maiden, I mean, not Iron Maiden, it's funny how Judas Priest and Def Leppard both are really into sports, right? Yes. They, they play soccer a lot. They play tennis with each other. They, they play uh, uh, golf. They're both huge into golf. It's really funny. And so he talks about they hung out with them, they hung out with Def Leppard, they hung out with Iron Maiden. Uh, and and, our, and and a couple of others, and he's like, why were we never? You know, he says they all have albums that sold five, seven, ten million copies. <laughs> Two and a half million for Screaming for Vengeance is their biggest seller by far, and he right. he feels like decisions were made along the way that that caused that. How do you evaluate that? Well, to be fair, Def Leppard embraced more of the pop metal or pop rock. I mean, I don't I don't consider. Def Leppard to be metal or more hard right. rock right. and they embraced that and they even flat out said early on that they wanted to be one of the biggest bands in the world so they kind of left the new wave of British heavy metal sound behind and they went with the more uh, pop you know rock feel and that's fine it's great I love Def Leppard so they worked out well for them mm -hmm. uh, Maiden I think really embraced songwriting on different levels you know they took a lot of what they grew up listening to and you know expanded and and I'm a huge Maiden fan I have a my lunchbox is a igloo cooler that's covered with Eddie. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm a huge Maiden fan. Sure, me too. And yeah, I think it was just, Priest kind of falls somewhere in the middle. They have great dual guitars. You know, Halford has that amazing voice. And, but they didn't really push the envelope, you know, like I think Maiden did. And Maiden fans are, you know, Maiden still sells out stadiums today. Mm -hmm. You know, they in in priest doesn't. And I think a lot of that is just because it's the fan base. And I, I don't want to say that they, I, it could have been management that could be part of the problem because I don't think management makes the best decisions for the bands. I think it's management makes best decisions for them. You know, I just don't think they ever really, what am I kind of trying to say? I think, I don't think they ever really had that song or that album after Screaming for Vengeance. I mean, I honestly, you mentioned Defenders of the Face. I barely ever listened to that record. Hmm. To me, it was, I went right from Screaming for Vengeance to, uh, you know, Turbo and ran it down. Those were the albums I remember. I, I almost never listened to the, to Defenders of the Faith. So, but, you know, during the 80s, it was all Iron Maiden for me all the time. So, and I think that was because I liked the comp, the complexity of the songs. I liked the, you know, the guitar harmonies that, I think was kind of lacking in some of the stuff that Priest wrote. I have thoughts about Defenders of the Faith. I'm going to save it for just a few minutes because I want to address what you were saying there. I think it's really good. Um, my impression, I think everything you said there is, is, is pretty much in alignment with me. I agree. It felt to me, I totally agree about Def Leppard. Def Leppard set out to write catchy, jingly songs, and that's great. Yep. I, I mean, Def Leppard are in my top three ever bands. They're one of the only big bands I've seen more than once live. I just don't go see bands live that often. And when I do, it's usually something new. It's not something I've already seen. I've seen, right. I, I saw Def Leppard in 
in 87 um, on Hysteria tour, and right. I saw them in 2017, oh, 30, really? years, 30 years later in Bush Stadium in St. Louis with Journey. I mean, so, and it was, they were very similar. It was almost yeah. the same same number of arms in the band by then. <laughs> so there was no big difference between, you know, that was rude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, uh, to Rick, but anyway, um, yeah, but so I agree with that Def Leppard. They were trying to make stuff that, that would appeal broadly. Right. Um, Judas Priest has always tried to appeal to their narrow base and be really good at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But right. When you compare Iron Maiden to, to Judas Priest, let's do that for a second, as you did. Um, Iron Maiden, to me, is like, I'm going to use metaphors here, it's like Iron Maiden is like they're trying to paint an oil painting on a big canvas with every album. There's like a yep. theme to it. There's color and layers to it. There's a story almost to it, somewhat. I mean, right. we're not talking Operation Mindcrime or anything, but or the Wall, but there's a kind of a unified, kind of a unified theory to it, you know. Judas yep, and their songs seem to be, if they're not deeper emotionally, they're at least deep in terms of what they are talking about. Like, uh, I think it was K.K. Downing in his book that said something like, you know, if you like Iron Maiden, I've got, I've got it. I'm as much. I, I'm as up for a 15-minute history lesson as the next guy, which I thought was a great way to put it, right? Well, yes, exactly. I mean, you you throw on Alexander the Great or the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, and Ancient you got Mariner, about 15 yeah. minutes of a history lesson with quotations I, honestly, I learned more footnotes. about those topics than, yeah. from those songs than I did from school. I'm telling yeah. you right now, man. Oh, Iron Maiden needs footnotes in their freaking song lyrics. It's crazy. But Judas Priest, by comparison, and, and this is, again, not to say one is better or worse, okay? And I've enjoyed right. listening to Judas Priest the last month or so way more, okay? So it varies. But Judas Priest songs, to me, are just like they said, let's make a cool song. And yep. that's it. That's it. And, and Halford makes some cool lyrics. They're very evocative. You know, he talks in his second book about having a thesaurus that he carries around, which I thought was kind of interesting, just like you right. know I do as a writer. And um, but they're just cool songs. They're not the history of Alexander the Great in Macedonia in th what three three hundred BC. They're not you know traveling through. They're just cool. Now, all right. The one time that they did seem to try to do something different is this Nostradamus album. And again, right. to reference KK Down, because I've listened to it once so far. It's it's a double album, and it came out in like yeah. eh, two thousand eight or somewhere in there, right? You yep. all right. and. So it was before Downing left. He left in 2011. And he talks about it very regretfully in his book. He says, this should have been our Pink Floyd's The Wall, right? Or to me, I would say, or this Operation Mindcrime. This should right. have been the thing that got a rock opera, that got a stage. He says it should have gotten a stage production like Phantom of the Opera or something, you know. And he says the, the producers, the, the, um, the, the label... Just yeah. nobody ever took the ball and ran with it. And it, now, the funny thing about KK—I get you responded to that—but the funny thing about KK Downing saying all this stuff is, he's always a passive observer in all these things. He's always right. like, "These people did this, these people did that," and I was disappointed. I'm like, "Why didn't you do anything? You're a founding member. Get off your golf course and go make <laughs> it happen, KK. What's the problem, man?" Well. Honestly, I've listened to the Nostradamus album, and I got to tell you, it doesn't do much for me. 
Um, it's it. There's a lot going on there, and maybe it was maybe it was too big. Maybe it was too much for them to bite off. But I can tell you that I I've only revisited it like twice. You know, I listened to it one all the way through, and I went back a couple times. Let's pick up a couple tracks, and I'm like, ah, eh. it it's it's not. It didn't grab my attention. You know, it didn't. There there was nothing in that that I heard that made me want to go. I want to listen to this again. So, you know, and you're right. It should have been a bigger record, but. As far as KK, I mean, he's a songwriter. He might be one of the earliest members, but he's not Rob Halford. And how much power does he actually have? I mean, especially when you're dealing with the label or whatever. So, yeah. and there's only so much he can do. And I'm sure there's not as much that Rob Halford could do. So, you know, yeah, I've, I just started reading the book and uh, it's also available in audio form too, which is easier for me for work. So, um, which book? But yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear what the he has. book? What's that? Yes, KK's book. Yeah. Okay. There's there's yeah. three now, so I have to be, have to be specific. Well, it's um, it's uh, shoot, I'll, I can tell you, but it's um, the heavy uh, which one heavy is duty. That one? Yes. Yeah, KK's yes. book is heavy duty. I just finished it. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's interesting to hear what he had to say, and I love hearing band, you know, former members talk about what happened, and it kind of gives you some nice behind the scenes info, but you know. And like you said, they uh, they write cool songs, and the one time they tried to make something epic, I don't think it worked. It's not you know their I mean? brand. It's not their brand. No, no it's not. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean... Well, I like some of their longer songs, especially from the early years, but, you know, that three to four minute sweet spot, you know, a lot of great crunchy guitar, a great lead, and Rob Halford just wailing, that's good stuff, but... Mm-hmm. And I think what happened with me is there for a while, like, especially when Halford left, I didn't really care about those albums. And, you know, it kind of fell off my radar because I'd heard it before. Now, going back recently, like you have, listening to their new stuff, I'm like, man, they got heavier, which I didn't think was, <laughs> you know, I didn't think yep. that was possible when you were that age. But, man, they're really, they're really pounding some stuff out now. It's great. Oh, yeah. The last two, and especially Firepower, 2018's Firepower, their most recent one. Yep. I wow. I, I put that thing on. I thought, man, it sounds like nineteen. It's. I mean, it doesn't sound like screaming for vengeance or defenders of the faith. It sounds like painkiller. Nineteen ninety. Yes. Mean, it sounds like when yep. they turn that corner from trying to get on the radio to just saying, "Screw it, let's just play." You know that, and that's that's and that's another step, another step in their evolution. You know, which I thought was yep. really interesting. Um. So yeah, and again, they've had these different levels of evolution of how they play of what they sound like it's like they sound at this point like like six different bands which is interesting to yes. me and and with mostly the same members mostly more or less and 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 usually crossover it's not like they had five members and those five all it's not like the yardbirds where there was just <laughs> jimmy page left and then they sounded like led zeppelin with three different members you know what i mean it's like right. It's like they lose a guy here they gain a guy they lose a guy there they gain a guy but it's still it's kind of there's continuity and yet right. they've evolved that much over that many, like 18 albums, I think, 18 studios. So, yeah. Um, all right, a couple of other things. Uh, they did get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, which was awesome. And this is actually what got me down this sort of, it sounds like we're talking spinal tap when we say this musical <laughs> odyssey or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but I kind of went on this Judas Priest odyssey uh, that my, my 15-year-old daughter is waiting for me to hurry up and end. Um, because she gets tired of hearing the same music in the car every time I pick her up from school or whatever. <laughs> um, but I just listen to the same thing until I get tired of it. It drives my family crazy. Um, but um, 
that was what got me listening to them lately was finding out after the fact, A, that they got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I was like, good, but wow, I'm surprised. And, yeah, and then too. B, seeing Rob Halford on stage with Dolly Parton was just such a complete mind-blowing thing that I'm like, all right, I got to go back and listen to them now because <laughs> let me tell you this. Day, I want to get your thought on this, okay? This, to me, is the key. This is, the for me, the key is that I think of this band completely different now than I did in the 80s. Okay, so here's the deal. In the 1980s, I was listening, you know, 1983 is pretty much the, it was my, like my freshman year in high school. That was the year I was getting ready. You know, I had a driver's permit. I had a, st- I had a, a, a cassette deck in my grandmother's car I was driving, right? So 83 <laughs> is the year I start listening to rock and roll. Okay. And, and right. I picked a, I picked a heck of a good year too, because 83 was an awesome music year. Okay. Yes. Um, so I'm listening to rock. I'm listening to The Police, Journey, Def Leppard, ZZ Top. I mean, you know, there's so much good music out in 83. I mean, God, even even Thriller was out that year. I wasn't a huge Michael Jackson fan, but you got to give it credit where it's due, right? Yeah, well, great record, though. Great yeah, record. there was just so much good stuff out. And, um, and in the middle of all that, you know, about the same time, in 84, so right after that, about the same time, I encounter Iron Maiden's Power Slave and oh, Judas Priest record. Defenders of the Faith. Right. And of the two, I mean, I'm listening to those two at about the same time. And of the two, I really, really liked Power Slave because they seemed like, and it's still my favorite Iron Maiden album. I've got the Funko. It's, I still think it's their probably their best. Oh, it's so good. I have their big Funko Pop of of the album with the little right. Eddie as album the cover, yeah. Pharaoh. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's in my room upstairs. So that album to me, it was harder than stuff I'd been listening. Remember, I'd been listening to ZZ Top, Def Leppard, Police. Okay, Journey. Right. Okay. So suddenly I listen to Iron Maiden. I'm going, wow, this is a lot heavier and harder than what I usually listen to. But the melodies and everything, I'm like, okay. And you watch a video and you see Bruce Dickinson running around. You see the the band up there playing. They don't seem threatening. They don't seem that disturbing. They seem like a bunch of nerdy dudes with long hair that they came from their Dungeons and Dragons game to play this concert. That's how <laughs> Iron Maiden always has come across to me is they, they, they quit playing D&D long enough to play this album. Right? Are you with me so far? No, I completely, completely right. on board. All right. Now, <laughs> then I put on Defenders of Faith, and I see Rob Halford video and whatever, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm like, well, these songs are catchy, right? I really like The Sentinel. Yep. I really like um, uh, Jawbreaker is good. I love, uh, we'll get to them, but there's a bunch of really good songs in Defenders of Faith. All right. That was the album that I first started listening to, so I listened to it a lot. But they never, they never, I never had that affection for them. They seemed right. dangerous, threatening, off-putting somehow in the way that Iron Maiden and the others didn't. And so I always kept Judas Priest at arm's length and kind of looked at them a little askance, okay? Okay. And so when I saw Rob Halford singing with Dolly Parton and I read a couple of his interviews and his speech and everything, I said, Wow, this is a really cool guy. I judged him wrong all these years. I always thought he was this horrible, evil, you know, Satan worshiping monster or something. 
which is kind of the image he tries to play, you know. Right. And, and I found out, no, he's really kind of the Freddie Mercury of heavy metal. Yes. That's a very and good when that, yes. You know what I mean? And when that clicked, I'm like, I need to go back and reevaluate everything about this band. And I really fell in love with them. Okay, yeah. so there's that there's that story. What do you do? What do you do with that? <laughs> well, okay, so like I said, I was actually listening to both of these bands, at the, you know, Iron Maiden and Priest at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you go to Maiden for the epic songs, for the melody and the guitars, and you know, and and I just love them. Priest, I go and I listen to those great, quick three minute songs with. I mean, and Tipton and you know, Downing are are great as a duo. They in my mind are still one of the top 10 guitar duos of hard rock and metal, you know, I'll die on that hill. Um, so for me, they are two different styles. They are two different bands. They both, they're both metal. They're both heavy. They both, you know, put on those big shows, but, and like you, I kind of, I was never afraid of him. I loved the look, you know, I remember watching the video for, uh, you got another thing coming and, you know, he basically blows that guy's head off in the video. I thought that was the coolest (laughs) thing I'd seen on MTV ever. So, um, I always liked them. I liked the stage persona. I liked the leather and the studs, and I thought it was cool. I love when Halford drives his Harley onto stage. I mean, you know, embrace it, man. But to me, they they were never a love. They were never one of those bands that you know. The only reason I got to see them live because a friend offered to go. But man, when Maiden came to town with Megadeth opening up on the Seventh Sun tour, you better believe I was there because <laughs> I was not missing that show. So, you know, and to KK's early question about why they weren't as big. I just, they had their own thing and it, maybe it wasn't as broad as, you know, as some other bands and maybe people kind of got a little tired of the same thing. I don't know, but you know, they, I was never afraid of them. And like I said, I, I, I listened to my brother playing black flag and the circle jerk. So I wasn't really afraid <laughs> of much when it came to music <laughs> at that point. So, but no, I see your point, and I'm like super excited to hear that Dolly Parton album with all those rock, you know, rock artists on. I'm super right. excited to hear that. I think this is gonna be fantastic. Um, if you haven't yet, there's actually a Netflix original movie called Metal Lords, and it's about a couple of kids in heavy metal in high school. And Halford actually has a cameo in the movie alongside uh, Scott Ian from Anthrax, Kurt Cammett from Metallica, and Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. They're all in kind of a We'll call it a, a dream sequence, but the kid's drunk. He's not asleep. He's but he's having this moment, and Halford's there and looking every bit of you know Rob Halford, you know, <laughs> awesome. So, but yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a great soundtrack. It's a fun movie, but the soundtrack they actually play. You know, they got Painkiller from Priest in there. So, but yeah, that's a good flick to check out and get to see him uh, embracing the Halfordness that he is. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So noted. All right, good. I, I'll say a couple of things interesting, though. For all that Iron Maiden has really proven to be bigger, and I don't want this to be all just the t- comparison of the two of them, but it, while we're talking about it, Maiden didn't get in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, although the less said yeah, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that. the better. Yeah, I'm still mad. I'm, <laughs> I had God, the most, the most, the most angry stuff argument on Facebook for me in the last month was people arguing with me about that. And I just like, fine, whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but um, they didn't get in the Iron Maiden didn't get in. Judas Priest did. And I thought it was interesting. Judas Priest played at Live Aid. I watched them live play at Live Aid. Right. Iron Maiden didn't for whatever reason didn't play there. Maybe they were invited. Maybe they were. I don't know. But um, 
But yeah, 1985. And so uh, it's just interesting. It's, and, it's just, and they also played the S Festival in 83. Uh, right. uh, Jesus Priest did. So they've, they've been, they've gotten the exposure, you know. They've been around and played for some big, big crowds in some very, mem- in fact, as we record this, this is the, the 40th anniversary week of that Us Festival in California right. where they, that was the, it's the one that was famous for Van Halen demanding like millions of dollars to play and they got it. But Judas yes. Priest was like third down on the bill that day and they had a huge success with it. So, um, just a couple of things about the members, I promised. Um, yeah, there are three books now. I've got two of them. I've read one, and I've started on the other. K.K. Downing's book's called Heavy Duty. Uh, yep. Very entertaining, but there's a lot of bitterness from K.K. It's, it's not always a fun read. It's, it's, it's got some fun rock and roll stories in it, but it's also like him kind of, Glenn sucks. I didn't get to do what I wanted. You know... <laughs> There's just stories like that in it a lot, which are, why didn't I well, ever get married? Gosh, too late now, I guess. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. That, well, there's there's a lot of years in there that things probably built up, and he's finally yeah. got a chance to put it on, you know, get That's it out of his system. So it's, it's cathartic, I'm sure. Oh, 100%, yeah. Uh, Rob Halford has two books out. One of them's called Confess, which is basically his autobiography personally. Haven't read that one yet, but I picked the second one called Biblical Up because it seems to be more like, KK's book. It's more about the band and the history of the band and their albums as opposed to his own personal kind of odyssey, which I'm sure is interesting too, fascinating, but I right. haven't I haven't gotten that one yet. Um, so it's interesting how they've kind of evolved. I wanted to mention Rob left the band and then came back. KK right. left the band in 2011, and the sense is that he would come back, but they're not tripping over themselves to invite him back. He did play at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, right? But it's kind of like they're happy with who they have and are not just in any big hurry to to ask him back in. I mean, do you have any sense about that? <sighs> well, <laughs> especially I'm sure writing this book didn't help, you know, yes. endear him back to the band either. So uh, I would probably expect him to show up again on another, like, you know, special tour or special date or something like that. But I don't think he's coming back to the band in any kind of regular, uh, in any kind of frequency, you know, like just like Tipton's still in the band because mm-hmm. of his Parkinson's and they keep him in there to help write the songs and things like that. But, you know, at some point, if you're just not gelling anymore, if you're, if you, there's too much bitterness, then maybe it's just not worth going back. You know I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's more of a you know hindrance than actually helping the band sound good. And honestly, the current lineup is, is pretty good. You know, like I said, the last couple albums have been really, really good, all things considered. So, well, Richie Faulkner. I don't see the point. That gets us to Richie Faulkner, who is another whole story. But by the way, one of the things KK complains about in the book is that Glenn was increasingly just kind of standing there still, not moving around. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) did did you realize then, or maybe you just didn't know that the man was really, really ill? You know, he was a miracle playing as well as he was. But, uh, but yeah, so. Uh, so they brought in, to replace K.K. Downing, they, re- they brought in Richie Faulkner. And I don't know much about him other than that I do enjoy, certainly, um, Firepower, the, the most recent album. Yes. Sounds awesome. But c- do you know about his health issues? And he's a young guy. Uh, no, actually, I do not. Oh, my gosh. So in the middle of a concert, apparently, a couple of years ago, he he tore open his aorta. 
and they had to rush him to the emergency room. This sounds like Def Leppard, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like Yeah, I remember hearing about he had some health issues. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah, so he had to go have open-heart surgery, and then last year he had it again. So he's had two open-heart surgeries um, to try to get his heart fixed. And and the last thing I heard, last thing I saw him say was, that he's trying to do rehab and hoping that in a few months he'll be able to tour again. I think, or maybe they're touring now. Maybe this was a few months ago that he said that. Actually, they were. Um, they actually were in Cincinnati last fall with Queensrÿche opening up, and I oh, honestly gosh, regret yeah. not going to that show. Yeah, <laughs> really I'm regret it. Killed. It's a there. small venue, but the tickets were a little pricey, hmm. and I. Like you, I'd already seen Priest before, so it wasn't necessarily a big thing. And I'd seen Queensrÿche multiple times, so I'll just I'll wait. And now I'm kind of like, uh, maybe that was probably my last time to see those two bands together, so I should have gone. Oh, and what you know what else is that we have a really nice little venue uh, up in Edwardsville, north of us, about thirty minutes in in southern Illinois, and they have, you know, they have a lot of like tribute bands come through but every now and then like Andy Summers is going to play there this fall and stuff. Oh nice. They have Jeff Tate from Queensryche coming in and he's going to be there the weekend I'm at Dragon Con in Atlanta. I'm <laughs> like no come on man. Of yeah, all uh, times. Yeah I, I find it funny that Tate tours um, with other members because the you know the other guys don't want him back in the band so yeah. and to be fair, they found a singer, uh, Todd Latour, I believe is his last name. He mm. sounds just like Tate does. So it's like, which is, why bring which it is back impressive. without the drama? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, no. It, yeah. That was, that was a funny lawsuit when they're suing over the name. Just, yeah. <laughs> it just seems like heavy metal bands and hard rock bands had that happen more than any other. I mean, between the Van Halen drama, the Queensryche drama. How does how is Def Leppard somehow avoided? They're they're all just like best buddies and have been for forty years. Yeah, well, once Pete Willis left the band, I think yeah. that really helped. You know, um, unfortunately, uh, when Clark died, eh, you know, and Vivian Campbell replaced him, and he's a decent guy, a decent human being. So I think that's really yeah. what matters. And if you can get along with people and uh, just enjoy your company, then that helps. And yeah, after this many years, you're, I'm still kind of surprised that Def Leppard is even still together. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, look at Metallica. They're still around. And yeah. they've had their fair share of issues. But it it matters, I guess, to actually be able to get along with the people you're spending all that time with, especially when you're touring for a year. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. And then the last one, I mean, well, so Glenn Tipson dealing with Parkinson's disease, bless right. his heart. Uh, the the drummer on all those big '80s uh, albums that, that Judas Priest did, Dave Holland, ended up going to prison and then passed away. So that's some drama yeah, there. That's weird. And then finally, there's Ian Hill just chugging along. He never says anything. <laughs> he never does anything. He doesn't write the song. He just shows up, plays the bass, and goes home. And I think that's interesting. That's well, it's an easy gig, you know. He stands yeah. in the back, just to the right or left of the drum riser, and just plays. And then the show's over, and he he goes no. home, you know. I think he's married to Halford's sister, right? I think that's right. Something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. And has been forever for, for decades. So, um, All right. I want to zip through the albums. I actually have their discography. Just like you, I have their discography. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just like any highlights either one of us wants to point out. So 1974, Rockarola, which is generally considered, I think they would just as soon that one fall off the face of the earth. Is that not correct? Yeah, they're not too happy with that one. They consider it a mistake. And they don't even have the rights to it. They, they No, that's they correct. Had to, they had to lose the rights in order to get out of their contract with that 
the the company that put out it and the next one, 1976. When I think of music in 1976, I think of 2112 by Rush. That's just like the album that comes to my mind from 1976. Sad Wings of Destiny. It's a good album. It is a good album. I actually have it on vinyl right behind me. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've just listened to it for the first time this past week. I'd never heard it before. And I'm really impressed. It's not as heavy sounding. It doesn't have all right. the production values in 1976. But but just the songs themselves and the singing, obviously, and everything. I mean, it's um, that's the one that's got um, the first the opening song on it. That's that's so that they play all the time. And now I'm going to blank. Oh out. yeah, victim of changes. Victim of changes. Yes. Oh yeah. Victim of. Changes. <laughs> I love right. I love the album art. The album art is, is fantastic oh, yeah. for that one. Yeah, that was kind of got like an angel or a or a, or kind of an Icarus type type thing going on, and and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Nineteen seventy seven. So they came back. They were doing one a year there for a little while. Seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy seven. Sin after sin, with the first with the song that they still do from it being the sinner. So <laughs> it's it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got some decent tracks on it, but yeah, it's and it's funny when you mentioned that they did one every year. That was very common. If you go back mm-hmm. to the '70s, rock bands were putting out albums like every year, and that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I mean, Kiss put out two albums in the same year. You know, they uh, in '76 <laughs> they put out uh, uh, Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over in the same year. That's so crazy. it's it was very, it seemed very common back then to put out an album every year. That's so crazy. They also uh, covered Diamonds and Rust. They've covered a few songs over the years, and they weren't always yes. songs you'd expect. Right. Well, later they cover a Fleetwood Mac. Yes, we'll get to that one. Oh, we're going to get to that one. All right. Uh, <laughs> 1978, they put two albums out in 78. Stained yep. Class in February and Killing Machine, also known as Hellbent, Hellbent Falada, in October. <laughs> so I, I don't know what possessed them to put out two albums in the same year. Um, I don't think Stained Class did a whole lot. I mean, I guess Beyond the Realms of Death, maybe... And another yeah, cover, great, Better By You, Better Than Me, I mean, Exciter. That's one, they have so many songs that the titles sound like. That's, that's Halford. They have so many songs. Right. If you said, what album was Exciter on? I'd be like, it could have been on any of them. I have no idea. <laughs> right? Just, that just sounds like every a song on every one of their albums. So, Well, that actually, that title was an uh, inspiration for a band later to take that name, Exciter. There actually is a band yes, with that name. That's yep, right. That's where it came from. And then Killing Machine slash Hellbent for Leather, I think was probably bigger. That's the one that's got obviously the title track, but that's not the. Uh, um, I'm, I'm my thing is moving too slowly. Ah, there we go. That it's got uh, Hellbent for Leather. It's got the. It's got another cover. There's your Fleetwood Mac, the right. Green Manalishi with a two prong crown. That's a, <laughs> that's one of their bigger songs for a long time. They even played that at Live Aid. Right. They only got to right. play three songs at Live Aid, but that was one of the three they played. Well, it's interesting to think because Halford even mentions uh, people like Elton John as his influence for singing. You know what I mean? So, yes. in fact, one of the first times, I believe the story goes, when they first met him, he was singing an Elton John song. And that was <laughs> the, what convinced them to uh, have him try out for the band. Yeah, and it's amazing how quickly, according to Downing, amazing how quickly they realized what a treasure they had in Rob Halford. Oh, yeah. And he, he's like, uh, Downing is basically saying that the rest of the band went from, should we give this guy a, a try, to how are we going to keep this guy in the band? 
<laughs> how do we keep from losing him? Right? They were scared right? that they were going to lose him, and that would really hurt the band. So, and I think that's true. They it probably would have. So, um, let's see. 1980 British Steel. Obviously, this one's huge. Um, right. This is the one that has uh, Metal Gods, which is kind of a standard they play in concert a lot. Breaking the Breaking the Law, Breaking the Law, which kind of gets its <laughs> own. You know, when the, when South Park is copying you, you know you've probably made it pretty big. Right, right. Uh, Grinder. Um, Living After Midnight is probably the biggest song on this one. And even United was a was a kind of a yeah. hit. So what are your thoughts on British, British Steel? Well, it's it's an iconic record. They really settled into their sound at that point. And actually, the, the garage band I was in in college, we actually covered Living After Midnight. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. So, I it's love an easy the, song to play. <laughs> yeah, I love the story associated with it that Halford was trying to sleep, and I think it was Tipton was playing his guitar in the middle of the night, and he goes up and says, stop living after midnight or whatever, and then he's like, hey, right. that's a song, and they immediately wrote it down. Yeah, it's, they've told that story a million times. That's a great, but, it's a great song title, so yeah. It is. The first, I had never listened to the entire album. It's one of those that I'd kind of just picked through. So when I went back a couple of weeks ago, when I got to United... That's a great song, and it doesn't sound anything like a Judas Priest song. And it sounds like a soccer team should be playing that, like Manchester United well, or somebody. Yeah, and uh, maybe that was kind of the influence. I'm not sure. But, yeah, it's it's a surprising. And I like that. There are – you mentioned it before because sometimes on the same album they sound like two different bands. Yes. And that's a good example of that. And I, I enjoy that because when – you can have your own sound, but when you say, oh, this band is in my, they influenced me, they influenced me, but you don't sound anything like them, it's nice every once in a while to cover a song or to have a song that sounds like where they came from. And so, yeah, I think that uh, falls into the category. And I like your description that I could, I could totally see uh, a soccer team coming out to that song. So, yeah, I like yeah. that idea. <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah. And it's, that's, a, that's another one that they did a, um, th- you know, there's been this trend. The last few years where bands will go and play like a month at a often a hard rock cafe arena or something like that Def Leppard right. did it twice in Vegas I have their albums it's so good um, they did the entire British Steel album start to finish along with other stuff at a hard rock yep. a few years ago and and so that was them they were playing that which is interesting because it's probably the first time they'd played it in a concert in decades i would guess well, i don't and that's what i love when bands go out and they tour and they play just that album i mean they play other stuff too but they, from beginning to end because mm-hmm. you got to imagine there's probably some of those songs they either never played live or haven't played in decades so i, I yeah. love that i think that's great yeah i love that when def leppard i gotta say i don't keep taking us a feel but this is just funny when def leppard played uh at the hard rock cafe in las vegas they opened for themselves under a different name. And as like was it Dead Flatbird? I think it's Dead Flatbird. And they played like they were a cover, but they were wearing costumes of them of different people and they played stuff from On Through the Night and High and Dry. Yeah. And I was just like, I actually recorded it off of YouTube and I have my own I have it on iTunes of my own copy of that album of them playing like nice. recent live versions of their old stuff from my favorite those were always my favorite Def Leppard albums. All right, continuing on, 1981, <laughs> Point of Entry. The weirdest album cover of all time. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's got heading out to the highway, 
And, right. and and interestingly enough, the song they probably play the most off this album is Desert Plains, it seems like. That's one I've seen and I've heard them play in concert. Really? Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I know Hot Rockin' was a single off there too. But yeah, yeah. that's that's the one I remember from MTV. But none of these were huge. This album kind of came no. and went. But it got upstaged pretty quickly because now we get to their biggest album. Yes. Um, my favorite of theirs. My absolute favorite record. As, as a friend of mine back in Auburn used to say back then, Scream! Scream for vengeance! Wonderful. That's a great... It's got the coolest album cover of all time. Oh, it's yeah, right? so good with the bird... The, the, like the Shogun Warrior bird coming down, a Transformer bird coming down in front of a bright red sun with a yellow background. And it's got their, they've really established that logo by that point. Oh, yeah. Three-dimensional, Very diagonal, cool. Jewish Priest logo. Everything about this album. Now, again, let me say this. All right, here we go. We're back <laughs> to my history again, and you're going to appreciate this. All right. All so right. there I was in 1984 listening to Defenders of the Faith and loving it. I knew that their previous album had You Got Another Thing Coming, so I would listen to that song, but I never really listened to the entire Scream for Vengeance album at all back in the day. I listened to Defenders of the Faith. I played that album all the time. When Turbo came out, I went and grabbed it, played it once, and went, eh, that kind of sucked. And then I was kind (laughs) of done with Judas Priest. So my, my, my Judas Priest fandom back in the 80s was it peaked with Defenders of the Faith, and then tanked with Turbo, and I was done. I'd never heard Painkiller. I'd never heard anything since 1986. Okay. Okay. Um, wow. So going when I started listening to them again after the Hall of Fame thing, the first thing I did after playing Defenders of the Faith a few times was go out and get Screaming for Vengeance. And I queued up that album, and I said, oh, my goodness. This yep. is even better. It's I'll put it this way, because they get compared a lot from what I've heard. Yep. I'll put it this way with Defenders of the Faith. Defenders of the Faith, let's say if on a scale of like 1 to 10, let me, let me do this first. On a scale of 1 to 10, Defenders of the Faith is like, Seven or eight, seven or eight, seven or eight, seven or eight, six, seven or eight, seven or eight, like that. Okay. <laughs> Screaming of Vengeance is like 10, 10. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, what is that? 10. You know? <laughs> it's, so Screaming for Vengeance is a very much more uneven. It's a more uneven, it's a more diverse album. The songs sound different from each other. But the ones that bang bang harder than anything on Defenders of the Faith. Yep. Yep. Is that fair? Yeah. To me, I, there's there's no song on uh, Screaming that I don't like, but the ones that I, I love are fantastic. You know what I mean? Yes. There's, there's nothing on there I skip, but man, it's it's such a great record. I never get bored of it, ever. Defenders of the Faith comes off as being like, if Screaming for Vengeance was a double album, Defenders yep. of the Faith would be like the middle eight or nine tracks, kind of just in the yeah. middle. Nothing yeah, bad. That's actually some of the some of the critiques I heard was like it was Screaming for Vengeance Part Two. Yeah, but Part Two in a way of like without the without those bangers. You know what I mean? It's right. great. It's really really good. But there's 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 hardly any songs on Defenders of the Faith that I don't like, but there's hardly any songs on it that I'm just singing for a week. 
Whereas I have had electric eye stuck in my head for two months, Dayton. Two months it's been stuck in my head. And it, sh- and it should be because it's a fantastic song. And, and when it's not, Screaming for Vengeance is. <laughs> yep. That's a good so, problem to have, though. It's not a, That's yes. a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. All right, moving on, and we're going we're gonna, to Defenders of Faith, 1984, talked about it. But what is what is to your mind the the the, the biggest song on that album? On Defenders of the Faith? Yes. Uh, honestly, most people say I the Sentinel, been, and I had, I don't feel that way. Yeah, uh, probably Free Will Burning is the one I yes. know most. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. What I'm most familiar with from that from that record. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right, 1986 Turbo. And the thing here, they tried some electronic. This is the first time they had like the MIDI, the synthesizer guitars and everything. Right. What is your evaluation of Turbo? Because it, it was just, it wasn't as catchy to me. It didn't catch me. They were trying something and, I mean, Maiden did the same thing with Somewhere in Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yep. I think Maiden did it better. Um, and I don't hate on this album. Like I said this was the tour I saw. But, uh, I think I do like the the mood of the record, but it's also not one I'm singing along to a lot. You know what I mean? It comes on, yeah. I'm like fine with it, but I'm it's not it doesn't get stuck in my head. Right. Well, it, Turbo Lover is kind of the song from it from my recollection right. and it's just not a huge I mean, they played it live for a while, the crowd was kind of like you know, and then <laughs> moving on, so <laughs> Right, right, right. All right, 1988 Ram It Down. I have no real strong thoughts about this one yet. Haven't listened um, to it enough yet. Well, one of there is actually a track on here that made it onto my list, uh, which was hard for me to do because they used a lot of drum machine on this album, and that yes, really, that kind of and that kind of bothers me. But at the same time, you have to kind of pay attention to really notice that it's a drum machine. So like, I'm like, oh, it's all right. But yeah, it's I think it's a pretty decent album. Yeah, the it is funny they they from what I remember they recorded that with the drum machine and they were and KK Downing says guitar players should never be allowed to run the drum machine because they'll do stuff that they like but that drummers can't actually do. So when they brought their new drummer in, I guess for Painkiller, he said, "What do you need me to do?" and they played some stuff from that and he went, "No. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm a human being. I can't do that. Are you kidding?" And then when you listen to the beginning of Painkiller, you're like, "Maybe you can." Yeah, right, though, yeah. Because yeah, Painkiller nice. 1990, the beginning of that is just like drums explode. It's like 15 drum players all playing at the same time. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Pretty Good awesome. gosh. Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. All right. Zipping along quickly, Jugulator, I, you know. I know nothing. I pretty much skipped that one. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was something about it that it never really uh, – Never made a huge impression. Demolition in 2001. We're up to the 2000s now, by the way. I haven't listened right. to that one either yet, so I don't know much about it. Yeah, like I said, when Halper wasn't around, I really wasn't paying attention. Oh, that's it. Yeah, those were the two yeah. Ripper. With the, yep. Tim Ripper Owens, whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he left. Uh, yeah, Halford left for a while, came back. Um, and I haven't, so again, I haven't listened to the rest of them that much. Angel of Retribution either. I'm, you know, we're more wanting to talk about the classic stuff. Nostradamus, I did listen to once. It's, it's, it's got that kind of, I don't want to say self-important, but it try, it seems like they're trying to make it sound like something 
dramatic and important yeah. beyond you know and and I I'm I'm looking forward to giving it more chance to listen and, and Yeah, I mean, you know, more power to them for trying something different, but Yeah. you know, it's it's not their strength, you know? And so, yeah, to me I I don't I've only like I said I've only been back to it a couple of times and I I have no yeah. real reason to go back to it at this point. It's funny, supposedly the manager came to them and said I have ideas for two concept albums and you pick the one you want to do and it was Nostradamus or Rasputin and they went with Nostradamus so I wonder what Rasputin would have sounded like yeah I'm kind of curious now yeah that's interesting I mean both good topics don't get me wrong but yeah sure. that's, that's interesting it is and then they did Redeemer of Souls 2014 and Firepower in 2018 and I, I really recommend Firepower if you want to just yep. hear that I mean, the name is very effective for it. It's just unleashed, yes, going, rock and rolling. Um, they've done a bunch of live albums and other stuff, and that's all well and good. Um, I had, I actually bought Priest Live on cassette when it came out in '87, and didn't like it that much. I just, it didn't really? have a good sound quality to me to it, which is why I was mentioned to you earlier that if you go on iTunes, the Defenders of the Faith 30th anniversary. Uh, album and you can tell because it only has the face of the little lion monster, not the whole body, and okay, it's black. Okay, right. It's got it's a three disc album on iTunes. It's got the original Defenders of the Faith and it has a two disc, their complete 1984 performance at Long Beach Arena. Every song, okay, and nice. it sounds so much better than Priest Live. Just the sound quality for some reason to me is way better. Like they had it mic'd better or something and it just sounds right. really, really good. So I really like, I really like that. I mean, that's the one I've been going back to more than anything else is the, uh, the 1984, um, the reissue from the, let's see, that would be 2014, I guess. Yeah. Yes. I think that's right. Yeah. So there you go. I guess they'll do something next year for the 40, man, I wish they'd tour for the 40th anniversary of defenders. <laughs> that would be so good. All right. So, that's all the albums and songs and stuff. Um, I guess, do you have any other thoughts about the band, their history, your feeling on them that you want to do before we, we hit our big top 10 countdown? Uh, you know, it's one of those, they're like, they're one of those bands that have always been when you, when I think metal, I think Judas priest, you know, they've always been, you know, the metal look, uh, you know, which inspired a lot of people after the fact, you know, with the leather and the spikes and, uh, the, I mean, Halford's voice, that, you know, operatic scream, I mean, that's that's Jeff Tate a few years later. You know what I mean? That, that, and so you embrace that. Mm-hmm. And um, so they are definitely a part of the world of metal. They were inspiration to a lot of bands. And, yeah, it is, it is a little weird that maybe they didn't have the same uh, success that Maiden did. But they're... they're iconic i mean you know halford got his own funko pop you know not everybody gets those (laughs) you know but uh that's that says something because he got one of the jumbos he didn't even get a little one it was a jumbo (laughs) so yeah they're a great band and i've been a fan for a long time that being said they i kind of fell in and out with them for you know like through the 90s didn't really pay that much attention to them um, I went through a weird thing, like especially in the early 2000s, where I didn't listen to a whole lot of metal at all at that point, and I'm kind of regretting that because a lot of the bands I liked came back and I missed it. But no, they've always been around, and I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. As long as Halford can still tour, they're still going to play. Yeah, well said. I and I agree. Um, 
Yeah, I did too. I, I've been on kind of a run the last few years of listening to slightly more pop-oriented stuff, which I never thought was going to happen. Because in the 80s, I listened to the harder, you know, I mean, more hard. Not Again, Judas Priest was about as hard as I got. I never got beyond <laughs> that into the like the deep end of it, you know, like Anthrax and all that. I never went there. Yeah, see, that, was, that was very much me, Anthrax, Testament, Megadeth, Metallica. <laughs> that, was, that was me in the mid to late 80s all, the, all day long. Metallica and Judas Priest, I would stick my toes in the pool, and that was about it, right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, and, and as recently as like a year ago, I would be playing, you know, something from the 80s, more pop rock oriented, and thinking, yeah, I just don't think I'm ever going to listen to heavy metal again. And now here I am, just this heavy metal renaissance. So, you know, we change and grow and evolve, and sometimes we kind of come full circle. It's really kind of neat. So I think it's important to listen to more stuff, and that's yeah. what I'm trying to do yeah. is uh, – like I said, on the on the podcast, we even covered a bluegrass record, which I oh. never thought I would ever do. So, <laughs> wow, okay, I have ranked my top ten Judas Priest songs. This is my top ten this week. It was different last week. It'll probably be different next week. But this is a snapshot of a moment in time. Okay, and I've right. actually put them in order. You just have your ten from like chronological order. Either order is fine, no problem. So you go in chronological order. I'm going to go, and we'll go back and forth, and I'm going to go in, like, my favorite order So because it's a thing I like to do. I don't know. I like to rank things. So I just my, didn't have time to put them in order. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of hurried you into this show, and I apologize, no, no, but I'm okay. glad we were able to do it. It would have taken me a whole other day and a half to actually put them in order. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, so I had a, had a big leg up on you there. All right, so my number 10 currently favorite Judas Priest song, As Things Stand Right Now. And, again, I, there's several albums I haven't even listened to yet. That I, you know, I'm just re, I'm in the process of rediscovery now, but I knew I would never be as excited about this topic as I am right now. That's why I kind of dragged you into this mess because I'm like, let's talk about it now. Come on. <laughs> so my number ten is Metal Gods. From the British Steel album of 1980. So that's my number 10 is Metal Gods. What is your number 10 chronologically? Uh, my number 10 is Victim of Changes off Sad Wings of Destiny. Yeah, that is a great song. That is a great song. All right. My number nine is staying with British Steel. Living After Midnight is my number nine Judas Priest song.
flashbacks to the garage band. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> My number nine is uh, Dissident Aggressor off Sin After Sin. Oh, that's a great title. And it's in it really showcases Halford's voice early on in their career, especially with the opening scream. And uh, you can start to hear the guitars getting heavier, you know, mm-hmm. as they're kind of discovering who they are. So I, I really like that song. That's such a good title. It could be a heavy metal song, it could be a manga comic book, it could be uh, the name of a superhero. I mean, <laughs> or yeah, super, it, could, yeah, it could be a movie, it could be a it lot could. of it. It's a great name. It's just like he got two words that sound good and put them together. Yep. Yep. I, okay. Uh, as opposed to all the aggressors that get along great, this is the dissonant aggressor, <laughs> so that's fine. My number eight is, good Lord, I didn't realize I did three in a row from British Steel, but I did. United. It's just so catchy. It's not anything like what they normally do. But the very first time I heard it, I'm like, oh, I love this because it sounds like a soccer song. Like I said, I could totally see it popping up on Ted Lasso or something. And it's just great. So my number eight from British Steel is United. All right. Uh, My number eight, we actually briefly talked about it, is uh, Beyond the Realms of Death off Staying Class. It's a lyrically heavy topic, which I really enjoy in my metal. Um, the acoustic verse followed by the electric chorus, which became a staple for a lot of bands after the fact. So, uh, yeah, you know, it still has a little bit of the progressive rock feel, but it also starting to lean into uh, the metal, the more metal sound that they were working towards. And another great title. Yes. God, and just... actually, it's the, it's the only songwriting credit for that then drummer, uh, Les Binks. Oh, Les Binks. Yeah, I love that name. Um, surely <laughs> must be a distant cousin of Jar Jar, right? <laughs> That's what I always think. We're not going there. No, 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 no. Um, great name, though. Seven, yes. for me, is a song you mentioned a little while ago. Uh, it is not my favorite song on the album, but it is really, really close. And that is Free Wheel Burning from Defenders nice. of the Faith, 1984.
That's the opening nice. track on Defenders of the Faith, and man, it kicks things off in a big way. Big yes. high adrenaline energy song. Yeah, great opening track for sure. It really is. My number seven is Hellbent for Leather, off of you know, Killing Machine or Hellbent for Leather, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, it's actually my favorite track on the album, and this one, as far as I'm concerned, kind of sh- really kind of cinched. Okay, this is where the direction we're heading. This is what yeah. works for us. This is what we like, and I think it does it really, really well. And the reference you made to leather remind me of one other thing I was going to mention is, and this is another weird thing that K.K. Downing mentions in his book is, if you would ask me, you know, you have to bet your life on the answer to the, on getting the answer right. Which member of Judas Priest came up with their leather and spikes look? We would well, have see, all, that's, we would have all yeah. said Rob Halford. Come on. Yeah. Well, see, KK says it was him. Other people say it was Halford. So it's one of those, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> ultimately, it doesn't matter. The, what really matters is that it's stuck and people copied it after the fact. So. Yeah. It's oh, especially the scorpions. The scorpions look like. <laughs> Looked like Which, a, blue, a, a Xerox no, copy of Jesus Priest. There is a band that, if you go back to the Scorpions in the 70s, it, they look so 70s. It's very funny, their evolution as well. Wow, yeah. Well, it's just interesting because what, what K.K. Downing says about it is, he says, I came up with it because I wanted us all to kind of have a unified look. They did look kind of, you know, in their, in their earliest appearance. You can find them on YouTube. Where Rob Halford's got long hair, believe it yeah, or not. which is weird. And they're wearing, like, floppy clothes and thigh-high boots yeah. and all this. It was the 70s. It was the 70s, yeah, man, man. The early 70s. But, but what KK says is, he says, I knew if I could get Rob to buy into this new look, then he would run with it. So he, <laughs> he kind of says, you know, he's basically saying, even if he's arguing he came up with it and not Rob, he knew who would be the one to make it popular and and go with it right yeah all right um my number six oh and it's a shame this one isn't higher because i'm ranking them how much i love them (laughs) my number six and it would have been higher a few days ago is the title track from 1982's screaming for vengeance Screaming, screaming for vengeance. That song is not one I would have ever liked before. It's, it really is kind of like thrash metal before thrash metal. Yeah, it's it definitely uh, is one of the heaviest tracks on that record for sure. It's actually later on my list as well. But yeah, um, you can tell that they really embrace the short songs and the heavy. It's really heavy, and I love the, the, the effect they put on Halford's voice during the chorus and stuff like that. It's just really, really cool. 
Yeah, it's an, it's again, it it sounds like a number of songs years later, but it doesn't sound like anything on that album or a lot of stuff you'd heard before that. Right. It, it's right. almost like they're inventing. I mean, you know, it's like I always say: if you go back to Led Zeppelin three in nineteen seventy, and you listen to Immigrant Song, it sounds like they're inventing Iron Maiden's entire musical approach in one song. Yeah. And yeah. this sounds yeah. like Judas Priest is inventing thrash metal in one song. Yeah. With the fast I, drums I and the screaming. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, there's yeah. This song it's, it's like this whole album. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's, it I is. Oh, it is. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> um, all right. Did, did have you done number six number, yet? Number six. Right. Uh, number number six is off British Steel, and it's breaking the law. You know, it's law. my favorite track on that record, man. remember just seeing the really cheesy video of them driving through the UK, you know, <laughs> singing out of the back of the, and, and the guy working at the, the, the security guard of the bank with the reverse flying V cardboard <laughs> guitar. It was just so funny. <laughs> the, um, and, and, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this about it, uh, Dayton, but it's a song that in- includes the word, the law. <laughs> That's how he always introduces it. Right. Our next song right. is a song that contains the word, the law breaking the word. Breaking the what? Everybody knows what it is. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, too funny. Too funny. This episode's going to kill my voice. I'm not going to be able to do the Babylon 5 show tonight. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Number five for me is the song with that weird opening. Victim of Changes. But I'm going to go with the live version from the 84 okay. concert. Because the, the album version on Sadwings of Destiny is still got kind of that prog rock. It's a little slower. It's not as heavy. But when they play Victim of Changes by the 80s, by the mid-80s, it's a, it's a chugging away heavy metal song that they've turned it into, yes. and I really appreciate that. All right. Uh, my number five, uh, these two songs go together. I don't care what anybody says. It's uh, The Hellion and Electric Eye. Yes. Yeah.
you, gotcha. they have to be paired. It doesn't it doesn't work well, you know, without the Hellion to open up the song. Uh, it's a great way to open up that awesome record by far, yes. and great opening riff on Electric Eye. Lyrics are really cool, and the production on that song alone, just on that song, is really fantastic. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And I was kind of shocked to see that they opened the concerts with it for years, playing the Hellion on a recording. They yeah. Would, they would play the Hellion in a recording while the band is coming out, and then as soon as the the Hellion's only like you know a minute and a half, two minutes long, it's and thirty nine seconds, not even that long. Oh wow! Okay, wow, yeah, it's so even shorter than I thought. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean. Honestly, if it was a Def Leppard song, it's kind of like the beginning of Rock Rock Till You Drop if they counted it as yes. a different song from the rest of Rock Rock Till You Drop, you know. And so while it's playing, they're running out on the stage, and then as soon as it ends, Tipton goes into that. Right, right and there we go. So Such a cool riff. So Such good. a cool riff. It is so good. All right, my number four. Yes, yes, my number four. Yep. I have to do this right, from Hellbent for Leather slash Killing Machine, but again, I prefer the live version from the mid-'80s when it gets heavier, is the Green Manalishi with a two-pronged crown. <laughs> I love how Rob says that. Because it's uh, so wonderful. It's it's just so the heavy version of it and the live version is just so. It's because it's got all the heavy uh, heavy metal gravitas to it, but it's right. still got that melody. It's still got that attractive melody that it has from the softer version brought in. And I feel like, in some ways, for me, Judas Priest is at their best when they combine that really heavy sound with a really good melody. Now, again, that's something that Def Leppard pushes all the way to the edge of melody, right? right? But Judas Priest is able to kind of combine them in a way that it's kind of 50-50 almost. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think that's why when they do it, they do it really well, but I don't think they do it enough. I mean, exactly. their, their dual solos are really, really cool. I like that a lot. But um, And that's I think that's why I like Maiden a little bit more is because they really embrace the the dual the duo guitars they really embrace that harmony so but yeah yeah i agree i'll say this though and i want your i want your opinion on this i think and i love iron maiden every bit as much i don't i don't like the guitar tone from the classic iron maiden albums as much as the guitar tone that tipton and downing come up with in other words tipton and downing's guitar sounds and you'll be hearing it all through this podcast are more like whereas it seems like iron maiden gets in a little more of the they get kind of like a yee, lee, lee, yee, lee, yee, you know, whereas, whereas Judas Priest is a little more like, and I just appreciate that more ballsy kind of heavy sound. Maybe is that? Well, and I, I, I hear that, and I agree to a point, but I think what it comes down to for me, well, it also depends on the on the album. Like Maiden's first two albums were very 
unproduced, very much still uh, the punk influence into the guitar mm-hmm. sound. Whereas as they progressed, I mean, their recent album, uh, Sanjitsu, it has a great guitar sound, you know, and but yeah, it, uh, it's kind of flipping a coin for me, you know, okay. I, as far as which one I think sounds better. But, you know, I like the fact that they both bands definitely have a distinctive tone to their guitars. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate that. Well, that's that's what I wanted to get out of you for sure, though, is that I'm not crazy. There is a distinction between the oh, yeah. sound. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And you can like whichever one, and, and I like them both. I think we both do. But yeah. but there is a distinction, and it's one I've always noticed, and it's always been something about Iron Maiden. I'm like, I wish you guys could just get that tone a little little grrr more to it, but they, eh, you know. <laughs> oh, well. it's they're so The songs are so great, I don't really care. Um, right. Okay. So you have, have you done number four? Uh, number four is Screaming for Vengeance. We already talked about it. So. There you go. Number four, Screaming for Vengeance. My number three used to probably be my favorite Judas Priest song or songs. There's a little clue there. <laughs> Before I went back and re-embarked on listening to their other stuff. And so it's my favorite thing, even over Free Will Burning, it's my favorite thing off Defenders of the Faith. It is the two songs that are really one song called Heavy Duty... Defenders of the Faith. It's funny because I've read reviews of this album that say all the songs are pretty good except Heavy Duty Defenders of Faith, which suck. And I'm like, that's the best part of the album. I love that where they just get, they just slow it down to a crawl and they're just, they could not be heavier on those two songs. It's chanting, it's kind of a good crowd response song. It's just got that relentless m- m- mechanical, dah, 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 you know. So I, I love Heavy Duty Defenders of the Faith. All right, all right. That's a good track. It's a good track. Um, but yeah, like I said, I that's one album I haven't spent a lot of time with from that decade. So right. So uh, my number three is uh, off of Ram It Down. It's Hard as Iron.
Yeah, it was like I said, this is a hard album to pick a song from. And I wanted to make sure my list kind of incorporated 70s, 80s, and you know, even I have a track, uh, you know, from 2000 as well, from the mm-hmm. late 2000s. But this one, um, they embraced the vi- environment of the music at that point. Thrash was taken off, and they kind of said, you know what? We'll see if we can keep up with them. And they could. And they honestly did. And they did a great Thrash song and did it very well. And yeah, I think it's a great song. It's probably my favorite one off that record. Awesome. I, I'm going to, that's again, there's. There's several albums of theirs I've just never listened to to any real degree, if at all, honestly, with a few of them. And they've only become, uh, this is the cool thing, too, is they've only become available to me recently because we've got Apple Music, I guess. My wife does. And so I've been able to go out and get albums that I didn't buy, you know, and I can, right. and I can put them in my... I can add them to my iTunes and listen to them whenever I want to now. And that's a luxury that I never had before. So I really enjoy that. And it, it's giving me the chance to rediscover all these albums. And so that's, that's been fantastic. Um, my number two is probably their biggest song. Screaming for Vengeance is going to close us out. But number two and number one is You've Got Another Thing Coming. Oh, yeah. song that they've said they didn't even originally intend to be on the album. They kind of made it up on the fly as they were wrapping up the album because they felt like there was room for one more song and they didn't have one more song. And once they put it together, like, hey, they got something here. This is not bad, you know. Isn't it amazing how these things just kind of organically happen? Yeah, that's happened quite a few times. You know, um, on Pink Floyd's Wall, uh, they told him they needed another song. And that's where Comfortably Numb came from. It was, a, it was an afterthought. And it was such a fantastic song, too. So, yeah, yeah sometimes that? that last track, that last song you write, turns out to be a winner. So, but yeah, great, great song. Great and song. they even stuck it almost at the end of side two, which is not where Judas Priest usually puts their bigger songs, right? I mean, right. It, and it's funny, too, because you can kind of tell. I, this is one of the first things I noticed, even before I heard that story, was I thought most of their songs kind of segue pretty well but you get to the end of screaming for vengeance and it just kind of ends and then you got another thing coming just starts and it sounds like two different albums almost yeah yeah sometimes track listing is difficult (laughs) as far as where you put the songs but yeah that one there's a weird it's like you know it could have gone someplace else on the record and sound a little bit better but i i don't i mean the song is fantastic so they it needed to be there for sure oh for sure yeah absolutely all right what's your number two uh, my number two is actually off of Painkiller, and it's Touch of Evil. Yeah, 
Okay. Um, there's actually a single off the album. Um, there's still a little bit of the synthesizers that they took on during Turbo. Apparently, most of the record actually had synths on them, and but most of it was removed except for this song. Hmm. Uh, I like it on this song because it accents the stuff. It doesn't really overpower anything. Um, I enjoy the feel of the song. It's heavy. It's ominous. And Tipton's solo is just fantastic. And uh, it shares a... It shares a title with one of my favorite classic movies of all time, Touch of Evil. So There you go. That's right. Yeah. All right. And we've come down to my number one song. So in, for my case, this is my f- current favorite Judas Priest song or songs. And it is the Hellion slash Electric Eye, the opening yep. of Screaming for Vengeance. So my, my list actually begins with two Screaming for Vengeance songs and ends with three British Steel songs. That's not surprising, <laughs> I don't think. No. Well, I mean, those are... When people talk about Priest, those are the two albums that always seem to come up. So, which makes sense. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right, and we've talked about that song already. So there you go. All right, so what is your number one most recent one? Uh, my number one is actually off uh, Redeemer of Souls, and it's the uh, Halls of Valhalla. As I was taking a listen to this album, I'm like, they got heavier. You know, I listened to Firepower and I really like it, but for whatever reason, this song really, you know, landed on, you know, landed with me, and I really enjoy it. And uh, I don't know, there's just something about this track. I love the Viking theme anyway. Uh, heavy guitar, pounding drums, and and Halford sounds great. So yeah, Halls of Valhalla. And I was going to say, if I were going to put an honorable mention right now, it might very, and especially if I wanted to be a little more diverse than just hitting these three or four albums so heavily, I would probably put in Firepower. Because yeah. that one comes on, if I put on random play or whatever, that one comes on and it gets my attention. Right, right. It really does. Now, I got to admit, there's a song on the Nostradamus album, and I don't think it's Nostradamus. It's, it's one of the earlier, it's like Prophecy, I think, where yeah. I just, I love every now, it just, it, I'll have it playing in the background, and it's just kind of, it's kind of playing, blah, blah, blah. But every, I get, every once in a while, you hear Rob Halford go, I am Nostradamus. <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny that it gets, it's good, but it's just, it's funny that he's running around saying that, and it just, 
it just makes me laugh and I go, Oh, I pay attention for a minute and then I tune it back out again. Right? So I love now, that. I it's love interesting it. on Spotify, which is what I use to stream my music. They actually, on uh, if you go to the search Judas priest, they actually have a playlist that quote unquote Judas priest put together of their favorite or highlights or whatever from their career. Oh. And I thought that was interesting because of course rock and roll is not on there because they don't have rights to it. There's very little off uh, the early stuff, like not much off Stained Class or anything like that. It's a lot of stuff from the recent albums. So I mm. thought that was kind of interesting. It is, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much that is what they really think versus what they're trying to promote from their current lineup and everything. Yeah, yeah. I know when uh, Maiden was touring a few years ago when I saw them, they had a playlist on there that was literally the set list that they did for every show. Oh, wow. So I just, I was like, cool, you know, I'm going to go ahead and listen to this so I know what to expect. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would like to think they have some kind of some kind of handle on it. All right, my last question, and we'll wrap up. I think this was a lot sure. of fun. I hope you had fun. This has been great to me. Where where do you place Judas Priest's legacy in terms of rock and roll and heavy metal? What is what are they meant, and what do they mean, and what are they going to mean going forward? Well, we mentioned it before the the leather and studs look for sure. I mean, everybody like you know from Scorpions, uh, the band except. I mean, that yes. they looked exactly like them as far as that look goes. You know, and even to um, with Motley Crue on with uh, Shout Out the Devil. I mean, yeah, they had the makeup on the face, but that was a lot of leather mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I think the look of heavy metal can be attributed to them. The You don't get a lot of them, but I mentioned Jeff Tate. You have a lot of those really strong vocalists. I mean, Bruce Dickinson, was, obviously, but you kind of have that very guitar-driven sound that a lot of bands have tried to cover. And I like I said before, you, you can't mention heavy metal without Priest coming to mind. So they're, I would say, if you're going to talk about, especially 80s metal, they're easily at top five conversation. And I think they'll always be in the conversation. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and again, I think I'm, I'm enjoying a whole new renaissance of kind of listening to them and rediscovering them, everything right now. And um, appreciating more about them than I did at the time, and that is a lot of right. fun, and it's good, and I feel good about it. And and those books so far are really good. The the KK Downing book I thought was very interesting and very well done. Uh, again, there's some stuff in it that you kind of like. Okay, just get over it and move on. <laughs> but it's still it's still a fun read. And the yeah. second the second Rob Halford book, Biblical, is just really very tongue in cheek, very amusing. He's really a smart guy, a funny guy, a very witty guy. He puts the whole thing in terms of like it's his heavy metal Bible and he breaks it down by books of the Bible and stuff. And it's just very cleverly done. So I, nice. I give a thumbs up. I'm only about 100 pages into that one so far, but it's really entertaining. So, All right. Well, I think that'll do it, man. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dayton, so that we could talk about the legacy of, uh, of Judas Priest. I, we'll, we'll try to get together again maybe before the summer's gone and, and, and look at some more music stuff along these lines. I'm not, I, we'll, we, we can talk. We'll decide what we want right. to do next. But I really enjoyed this. Sounds and I good. had a great time. So, all right, the White Rocket's going to get out of here for another episode. We'll see you guys down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.